Welcome back to the Broadway Block. On today's episode, we got the Edmonton Oilers play-by-play announcer, Jack Michaels. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, Getting ready for the big showdown against Toronto uh, tomorrow night as we record this. And obviously, uh, in Canada, that's a big deal. You get Austin Matthews, Mitch Barner. You got people in Toronto that think the Leafs are winning the Cup every year. You got people in Edmonton who feel like it's the Oilers' time. And so uh, tomorrow should be an electric atmosphere. The Maple Leafs fans travel exceptionally well. Well, I mean, the story so far has been Chris Knobloch, right? We saw him have a little bit of success when he got called up to his brief time with the Rangers when David Quinn had COVID. A lot of people, when we were looking for a new coach, were saying, hey, we, we probably have this guy in-house already. And I mean, he's been nothing but special for you guys. 20 wins and only six losses so far in his tenure. What can you say about just, you know, aside from the obvious, what does the team look like with their previous coach to now? Well, I mean, you know, the the previous coach came in and had an unbelievable run himself. I mean, he went 26-9-3 and when he took over for Dave Tippett and then guided the Oilers to the conference final where they hadn't been at that time in 16 years. So, you know, he got off to a sensational start. He's still got the highest winning percentage in the history of the Oilers. And when you consider this team had Glenn Sather as their head coach through all those cup winning teams and in the eighties, that's saying something, but you know, for whatever reason, Edmonton just fell on its face to begin the year. I I can't explain it even now when I've thought about it. Uh, Obviously I can point at a number of things statistically, but there was just something not right with the team. Connor McDavid got a little banged up early in the season. The goaltending was lousy. The penalty kill was terrible. I mean, they just, they just weren't clicking. And, you know, they, they went ahead and made the change when they lost in San Jose and Jay Woodcroft ended up winning his last game in Seattle. And there's an argument to be made that the team would have sorted it out you know, regardless, but you can't argue with results. And Chris Knobloch, I mean, you know, no one's had a better start to his coaching career in the last 100 years of the National Hockey League than Chris Knobloch. I mean, that's how good he's been. Uh, He's had not one, but two eight-game winning streaks as we record this. It's a franchise record 10. That's right. None of the 80s Oilers teams ever won more than eight in a row. The previous record was nine. And that was by the 2001 team and last year's team. So, you know, he's achieved a lot of things. And, oh, by the way, he's, you know, he's won eight straight on the road. That ties a club record. So, I mean, he's done everything right. And what he's done is brought a calming influence. I don't know whether you've ever seen his press conferences, but he's a pretty chill guy. Uh, and I think when you're 2 9 and one that goes a long way. Just a guy that's going to calm everything down. Uh, he simplified the penalty kill a little bit. Uh, I think they've used something in excess of 20 different forward combinations. When he came in, he put three different combos together and he stuck with them the last two months of the year. And the penalty kill, you know, has gone from, you know, something like 72% and it's been, you know, 90% over that stretch. The goals against have come way down. The save percentage has gone way up. Stuart Skinner has won seven in a row twice. I mean, he's really playing well. So, Again, it's a combination of everything. McDavid's gotten healthy. He's got 41 points in his last 21 games. And this is all in spite of the fact that guys like Leon Dreisettle and Evander Kane aren't exactly lighting it up. The power play has been just okay for the last month, and yet this team continues to find ways to win. So 
It's a real positive sign that Edmonton has not brought its A game every night. Uh, and, and that's a skill in and of itself, too. Uh, finding ways to win, especially over the course of an 82-game marathon season when you don't have your best stuff every night. Well, you started doing the play-by-play calling 2010, correct? Yes. So, like, you've been there for the whole kind of almost rebuild with Dreisaitl, McDavid. Oh, I've I've been here for the whole kit and caboodle. I was here for the first rebuild with Taylor Hall, Jordan Eberle, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Uh, So, you know, I mean, I've... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're dating me, but yeah, I've been here a while. The question uh, is, what are, yeah. is it every year with the Oilers with having McDavid is the expectation, like make the playoffs go all the way. And is there a year more with McDavid that you feel like the expectations have been like, we got to go further this year. Well, I think what, I think what I would say to that is this is a team that recognized it's got a unique opportunity. Uh, Leon Dreisel has one year left on his contract after this year. Uh, McDavid has two. So you're getting to a point where you want to have guys that are going to want to be here for that next window, right? Uh, this is the initial championship window. Uh, so th- there's a lot of pressure on this year to probably go to the Stanley Cup final. I mean, as a bare minimum. Uh, that will, I think, you know, give Leon Drysettel a real reason to stick around. And if Drysettel signs on, McDavid's going to be that much more inclined. Look, I'm not saying they're joined at the hip. Uh, they're each unique individuals. They are good friends, but you know, guys sometimes play somewhere else. I mean, you know, you you look at some of these teams. Guy like John Tavares, who Edmonton's going to see uh, tomorrow night in Toronto. I mean. He developed a lot of good friends, I'm sure, over his first nine years with the New York Islanders in your area. Um, but guys move on. Uh, so it's uh, it's not a slam dunk that both are going to re-sign here. But I think it's more likely than not that those chances go incrementally up the deeper you go in the playoffs this year. So if you're asking me, is there as much pressure this year and is there as much expectation this year as any year? Since probably 1991, yeah, I think there is. That's what I was thinking when they pulled the ripcord on Woodcroft at 15 games or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they gotta they gotta get to a point where they feel like both guys are going to come back. I mean, that's that's ultimately what it's all about. They've got to find a way uh, to get things going. Uh, they've got to find a way to have the kind of team success that lends itself to guys wanting to continue to be around. Now, Zach Hyman signed beyond that. So they know they've got some running mates beyond their respective contracts. But obviously, when you're talking about two of the top five players in the world, ideally, you'd like to get both re-signed. Yeah, and it becomes a you know instilling the culture that other people want to come play here as well. Maybe they take a discount to play with these guys. And you know, obviously, you mentioned that there are two separate individuals but it's it's much more enticing to know that you know this guy that you've had amazing success with so far is on long term i think right going, you know looking at mcdavid's contract which i mean i'm sure he's due if not the largest contract that we've seen yet something pretty close to it but it's going to be yeah really and, and there's no gear right and there's no guarantee that 
you know, guys are going to be lining up to take hometown discounts. I mean, again, it's possible. I think it's it's possible that McDavid will look at the overall structure of the club and and try to project what's reasonable, you know, to pay him more than adequately while at the same time retaining enough salary cap space. And that's where you have to make your top players partners, right? You have to bring them in and say, look, we want to give you close to full market value, but we also want to give you a chance to win for the next six or seven years. And I think now that McDavid and Drysaddle are in their late twenties, that's when you, you know, that's when you can get some positive reception as far as that goes. I, you know, look, I, I'm not in those rooms, and I, I can't speak for either one of them, but I think when you make a certain amount of money and you establish a certain reputation in the league, there's only one thing left to do, and that's win a Stanley Cup because it changes how you're perceived around the league, not only today, but 25 years from now. And trust me, it's important to those guys. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say it's it's the most important thing, but it absolutely will be a factor. Right. If McDavid doesn't win a Stanley Cup, is his legacy not going to be fermented as like the best player? Like, you know, we're, we talk about in NBA, like LeBron, like he's at four championships. And is it going to be enough to like be considered one of the greatest? And here's McDavid. Well, I think he's one of the greatest. I, I grew up in the Michael Jordan era, so I'd say I'd say no chance. But, you know, a guy I mean, a guy that you know, and I'm dating myself, but a guy that I certainly is in my wheelhouse would be Dan Marino, you know, never won a Super Bowl. I, I think as time has gone on, guys in your generation, you know, you he wouldn't come to mind in terms of the top five or six quarterbacks ever. He would come to mind because I saw him play. And I quite frankly think, you know, he, he never had a running game, never had a defense. But ultimately you're lost a little bit if you never win at all. You, you know, Marcel Dion in hockey, that's probably a name that, you know, again, hardcore hockey fans know they they'll probably remember who Guy Lafleur is, you know, because he won a ton of Stanley cups in addition to being, you know, a great scorer himself. And, you know, he played a long time ago. I guarantee if you, you know, Ask your casual audience. Guarantee you more of them have heard of Guy Lafleur, who played same era as Marcel Dion, but didn't win it. You know, that that matters. So I, I do think it matters to these guys. I don't think it's all about the money, especially once you get into the second half of your career and you mm -hmm. still haven't won. That Stanley Cup becomes more and more meaningful. Team success becomes more and more meaningful. I, the only thing that rivals it is planning for your country. Yeah. And I, and I don't blame a guy who holds out, you know, for their contract. And, you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're feeding their family and they're, they're going to work. So, you know, at a point, I think you're right with that second contract that after you've been paid after, you know, it's been established and when you've gotten a taste of it too, that's the other thing about the Oilers is that they've been in the playoffs. They've watched other teams have success. They've you know, lost the champion two years in a row. And, and that makes you kind of wonder what if, what if we got over right. that one little hump and what that does for the group moving forward is it, is it means that there's a, a redefined hunger within the group to, to get back to there. We're seeing the same thing with the Rangers right now. Basically after we went to the Eastern conference finals, it's now, you know, cup or bust and this franchise is a little bit, uh, the fan base can get a little bit over exaggerated in those desires and their reactions. But 
I would be hard pressed to find us not in the playoffs. And at this point, we have to push past that first round because we didn't last year. Now you brought up the special teams earlier. Do you think that it's a good thing right now that the Edmonton Oilers maybe still are not somehow operating on like full capacity? Do you think that the the best hockey from this group is still yet to come? Hundred percent. And and you don't want your best hockey to come. Look, the Oilers finished last year, I think, fourteen zero and one in their last fifteen games. Uh, 18, two and one, if you go to your last 21, but I mean, they were unbeaten for 15 games. They lost one game in overtime, I think to Vegas. Uh, and that act, that actually swung the division in favor of Vegas, but, uh, you know, the Oilers were also up in game five in Vegas with a chance to go home with a three, two lead. They were up late in the second period of game five. And that's how close it comes sometimes in the Stanley cup playoffs, uh, they exit in the second round. I would make an argument they were much closer to winning it all last year than they were the year prior when they went one round further, but they got swept by Colorado, and Colorado's the better team. I mean, I think if that series was played 100 times, Colorado probably wins 98. Last year, Edmonton-Vegas, I, that's a flip of a coin. If you played it 100 times, I bet it'd be about 50 each way. But, you know, Edmonton let Vegas off the hook. Uh, took some stupid penalties, and and the Golden Knights won the series. I I don't think you ever want to play your best hockey in the regular season. Uh, The two best teams in recent memory are last year's Boston Bruins and the 2019 Tampa Bay Lightning. Both were out in the first round. I mean, both won more than 60 games. Both were right, you know, or top 10 all-time in the history of the league in terms of their win-loss record. They didn't have any adversary during the regular season, got in trouble in the playoffs, and they were out. And so, look, I, am I suggesting you want to start 2-9-1 the way the Oilers did? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'd rather go through a period like that in the regular season than be faced with a postseason crisis and have no idea to deal with it. And, you know, it's two years in a row now where I feel like Edmonton's season turned around at Madison Square Garden. Last year, down 3 nothing, They won 4-3. This year, same thing. Down one nothing, four-goal third period, uh, win 4-3. And that really, you know, that got them to 500 before Christmas time. And I, I think you go into the holiday break with a with a newfound attitude and, and a chance to really uh, literally and figuratively turn the page and, and put everything that went on in October, November behind them. And the Oilers have done that. And now they're in a position to, you know, make yet another run at what would be their first division title since 1987. It's the longest drought in the four major professional sports. Even the Cleveland Browns, my beloved Browns, have won a division title more recently, 1989, for those of you scoring at home. I'm a Jets fan, so it's 1998 for us. So I still I still remember too. You don't you don't remember the 1998 division title? Who are you kidding? I was nine years old. My dad is a season ticket holder. You were nine. Okay, I, I was. I, I thought was you were a bit younger than that. You're carrying no, no. your age pretty well. Yeah, I, thank you. I have two kids, so these days I, I take a compliment. Like anytime I'm ID'd, I'm like, yes, thank you, please. Yeah. No, absolutely. Okay. And it was funny because you said the Dan Marino thing. And I actually saw Dan Marino like a couple times as a kid, like play in the 90s. So I remember the famous fake spike beat Aaron Glenn for the game winning touchdown. I was watching that game at Ithaca College in upstate New York. That's where I went to school. 
and and the Dolphins fans don't let us forget it because I lived in the town next to the where the Jets practice, and I was like, we we're playing the Dolphins that day, and I was rolling by in my car, and I was like, boo Dolphins, and he came back and he did the fake spike right there, and I knew exactly what he was doing as a diehard Jets fan just to try to troll us. So like, it's yeah. still out there. Yeah, the two teams you mentioned uh, that had success most recently were some of the deepest teams that we've seen and and the the bolts the abs you can extend it to and the golden knights a product of winning is that you know you can't really afford to keep that depth if you're an edmonton oiler gm what does the team need to kind of get it over that depth hump because when you talk about the rangers we talk about the edmonton oilers you look at teams that are built on highly volatile offense but kind of struggle in that in that depth area. Well, I mean, ideally, and the Oilers are right up against the cap, so they're going to have a hell of a time, uh, you know, getting things accomplished. I think ideally you'd like to add another right-handed shot and have the ability to play Cody CC in your third pair. Uh, I think you'd like to add a depth winger or center iceman, you know, a, a third or four, a bottom six, third or fourth liner. Uh, there's there's concern to be had in the bottom six. There's no question about it, right? You know, the Oilers are a top-heavy club, but there's so many of them. I mean, Tampa's one, Toronto's one. You know, there's a big four. There's a guy who puts up a lot of points from the blue line, and then there's a bunch of guys. I mean, that's the way a lot of teams are structured right now. You're absolutely right. You know, Vegas was able to roll four lines, and and I think that had a cumulative effect on Edmonton. Uh, you know, I, I'm not so sure Colorado was was deep up front, but they certainly were deep on the back end, you know, with with Kale McCarr and Samuel Gerard and Bowen Byram, who's healthy. If they have all their guys going, Josh Manson, they they've got a they've got a lot of demon, right? Uh you know, that's that's an issue. There's no there's no question. And and you know what? What's behind Stuart Skinner for that matter? Uh, if they, if they could find a goalie, I I'm sure they, they'd add them, but you've got cap numbers to deal with. And, you know, ultimately, uh, the Oilers right now, like a lot of teams are, are prone if they've been healthy and if they take on a couple of major injuries, they're going to have a hard time sustaining what they've done here in the last, you know, in the last couple of months. So depth is absolutely a question. And I would say Edmonton does not meet. Uh, the same criteria of the of the depth exhibited, particularly by the championship teams in Tampa and Vegas. I, I don't think the Oilers are that deep. Yeah. Well, you when winning, you also you know you see the Bolts lose their entire third line essentially. You right. Know, you, lose, you lose your cadres. You you lose guys that you kind of forget about in the in the way that you can roll these four lines. It's death by a thousand cuts, and and you can roll the team slowly. Whereas right now, I think. The Rangers specifically, if you want to bring it closer to home, but the Oilers as well, we really rely on those top two lines for most of the offense. And if we can have a shift go by with those third and fourth lines out there where there's just minimal damage control, I mean, we take it as a win at this point. Well, the Rangers are a perfect example. They've got their top two lines at Adam Fox. And you know what? The one thing the Rangers have had, now Stuart Skinner is playing at this level the last couple months, but the Rangers now have some questions i mean shesterkin hasn't quite come around the way they'd hope so uh you know and goalies 
goalies are prone to that. You know, you, you never know. I mean, Skinner was sitting at 865 a month into the season, and, and now he's been lights out. You don't know when the next slump's going to come, and you don't know when the next heater's going to come. Uh, Colorado won a Stanley Cup kind of by committee. I mean, they got by with Darcy Kemper and Pavel Francouz. Uh, you know, on the other hand, Tampa had probably the best goaltender in the world, Andre Vasilevsky. So, you know, Vegas, again, goaltending by committee. Aiden Hill came in. Probably the best thing that happened to the Golden Knights was the injury to Laurent Bassois. It allowed them to turn things over to Aiden Hill, and he responded. If he didn't, they would have been out. He did. And they won the Stanley Cup. It, it there is no rhyme or reason. I think ultimately Edmonton will try to pull off a couple of deals that gives them, you know, the absolute best possible chance to win. I do think the Rangers likewise will will add another depth forward. hundred uh, percent, I do. They might even add another. They might even be inclined to add another D man as well. Uh, you know, a guy like a lot, a guy like Ryan Lindgren. Uh, He's he's kind of an underrated player in the sense that, you know, well, they the idea is anyone can play with Adam Fox. That guy gets banged around a lot. He he uh he's taken some huge shots this year. Uh they they are gonna need to add probably a, now that I think about it, they'll they'll need to add another defenseman too, because they've got some guys uh who've played a ton of minutes this year. Um, and they're they're one injury away from probably being in a in a real need situation back there as well. So so actually, the Rangers and, and the Oilers really, you know, have have similar roster compositions, but it's not unique to them. That's the way the league is with this with this cap that has not gone up the last couple of years. It's really put everyone in a crunch, and you've seen a championship team like Tampa that's drafted and developed exceptionally well, plus gone out and found some free agents that no one else wanted. A guy like Yanni Gord, for instance. And they've been able to, to develop those players, and they've paid for it. I mean, they've paid for it because ultimately those guys, because they've had the kind of success they have, eventually they need to get paid, and they go elsewhere to do it. Jack, I wanted to say thanks for taking the time. I know you got to get rolling with us, but uh, but thanks for taking the time to chat with us, man. We got to do this again soon. Yeah, I'll look forward to it. And uh, you know, I uh, I always appreciate guys who love to talk hockey. And, uh, you know, I, I will say this, I, I do believe that, that Edmonton and New York, I have said it for a couple of years now, that's one of the most tantalizing matchups out there. I think that would be a hell of a series, uh, some exciting back and forth. I think going into this year, I think the team that had led by three goals and four of the five previous matchups had actually lost the game. I mean, uh, that, that, that series could have more swings than, than uh, you'd imagine in a seven-game set. So let's hope maybe you and I are talking again in about five months with a lot more at stake. I hope you're right, Jack. (laughs) Take care. You do the same, my friend. Thank you. Thanks, Jack. Cheers.